Today's sermon comes from Matthew 9, 35 through 10, verse 15. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Elpheus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the, off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Father, this is your word. And we need it this morning. We are so independent and operate so self-sufficiently. And so we need you now to take down our defenses, open our hearts, that we'd be willing to look within even if it's not a pretty sight. But then you would lift our eyes to your compassionate son, Jesus, and fill us in the broken places. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, there was a woman who received a letter in the mail on February 3rd that said, take down your Christmas decorations, exclamation point. It's Valentine's Day, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It was an anonymous letter that she received. 
Under any circumstances, it would be hard to receive such a letter, but it was really hurtful because she had just recently lost her father and her aunt to COVID. Right after Thanksgiving, her father actually lived with her, and right after Thanksgiving, her father put up the Christmas decorations like he did every year. And so on January 15th, when he passed, she couldn't bring herself to take down the Christmas decorations. And this explains why that letter was all the more painful for her. So she, uh, she posted it on her Community Moms Facebook page and gave an explanation of why the decorations hadn't been taken down, hoping that the anonymous sender of the letter would at least see and understand why her Christmas decorations were still up. And as you can imagine, there was an outpouring from the community. She received meals and cards and flowers. They set up a GoFundMe page to, to help pay for her mortgage moving forward and the, and the funeral expenses. It was a, a beautiful display of compassion for this woman. And then there was even a more, more incredible display. Some of her neighbors took their Christmas decorations out of storage and put them back up so that she wouldn't feel alone. Now, you and I have probably found ourselves on both sides of that story. We've probably been both of those neighbors. On the one hand, casting judgment on people, condemning people, not knowing the backstory, but condemning them. And on the other hand, we've, we've been that neighbor that has extended compassion. We are incredibly inconsistent as people, sometimes casting judgment, sometimes extending compassion. Our hope this morning is that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is perfectly consistent in his compassion for people like you and me. His mission as he defines here and sends out his disciples, is a mission defined by compassion. It's who he is, and he's consistent in it. So the question becomes, what, what characterizes the mission of Christ and of his followers? The one word answer to that question is compassion, but we're going to build that out and see what that means. What is the mission of Jesus or what characterizes his mission and the mission of his followers. First, it's compassion delivered. As Jesus went through the cities and the villages, as he traveled around, it says he taught, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and affliction. He taught, he proclaimed, and he healed. Jesus was confronted with all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of pain, all kinds of despair. The question is, what did that draw out of him? As he was faced with the brokenness, the pain, the despair of these people's lives throughout the towns and the villages that he went through, what did it draw out of Jesus? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In the New Testament, this verb here for compassion is used only of Jesus or only by Jesus in his parables. This verb is not used outside of Jesus' parables. It's not used of people. And the reason that's important is what is being described here is divine compassion. Divine compassion for troubled people who are harassed and helpless. Now, Matthew gives us a metaphor. He gives us an illustration of what it means to be harassed and helpless. He says it's like sheep without a shepherd. That expression is used numerous times in the Old Testament to describe the people of God. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, a couple things about sheep. Number one, they're incredibly vulnerable to attack by hostile animals. And so they're always in need of protection. Number two, sheep are not good at providing for themselves. They are not good at going and finding green pasture to eat from. So they have to be led there, right? So sheep need protection. They can't protect themselves. And they can't feed themselves. They have to be led to green pasture where there's food. If they didn't have a shepherd, they would be harassed and absolutely helpless on the mountainside. That phrase is used to describe you and me. When it's used in the Old Testament, if you look at every instance that it's used, what you find is it's describing one of three scenarios. And it either describes when people are leaderless, they have nobody to lead them, guide them, or it's describing when they're being led by poorly by one of God's shepherd leaders, or it describes when they're being harassed by the gods of the culture. And that third scenario of being harassed by cultural forces is described in Zechariah 10.2. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Now, by the time that we get to the New Testament, this phrase is used often to describe the leadership of the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day. They placed heavy burdens on God's people. They mistreated God's people. They used them for selfish gain. They disadvantaged others to advantage themselves. It was poor leadership. So when we look at Old Testament to New, we look at this phrase, what we see described is exactly how we are harassed and helpless today. Because that's the question. You and I are harassed and helpless, but that's not helpful if we don't understand 
what that means for us today and how we find ourselves in that situation. So what does it look like for us to be sheep without a shepherd? Let me give you a couple scenarios here. Some of you may have been in the past hurt or harmed by a leader through being controlled, through being used, through being manipulated, whatever it may be. And when you finally got the strength and the courage to move out from underneath that leadership, maybe you were talked about or slandered. And so you bear the scars of that experience, you bear the scars of that treatment, and maybe now that you're out from underneath that leadership, you may find yourself beating yourself up, saying, man, how did I get into that? Why did I let myself be treated like that? Actually, was it my fault? Did I cause that? The question is, when you find yourself harassed and helpless in that kind of scenario, what do you receive from Jesus in the midst of it or after it? Do you receive Compassion from Jesus or do you receive functional condemnation? Do you receive deep affection and understanding or do you receive, how'd you let yourself get, in the, get into that? Why, why were you so weak to put yourself underneath that kind of leader or that kind of authority? Shouldn't you have been stronger than that? No. Condemnation does not come from Jesus. The scriptures call the devil the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Which means that in that scenario, what you receive from Jesus is not, ah, you should have been stronger. Ah, you shouldn't have let yourself into that situation. No, what you receive is compassion. You receive compassion and understanding from Jesus. Or let me give you another scenario here. Maybe you're being harassed by your past. Something has triggered for you memories of a past life of sin and debauchery. And as those memories have been triggered, shame and guilt begin to resurface in you. The question is, what do you receive from Jesus in that moment? Compassion or condemnation? Deep affection and understanding or I can't believe that you lived your life like that. Do you realize how many people you hurt when you did that? I don't know that you're actually sorrowful enough for what you did. No, you receive compassion from Jesus. Deep affection, deep compassion, deep understanding. Or another scenario, maybe you're being harassed by the culture, harassed by cultural forces, 
Maybe you're struggling with materialism. I want more money. I want the nicer car. I want the bigger house. I want the more exotic vacations. I just want it and it's such a strong pull on me. I can't seem to get away from the pull of materialism on my heart. Or maybe you're consumed by social media. Maybe you, you struggle to engage with social media in moderation. It just has such this almost addictive pull on you. And it, and it brings you in repeatedly into places of depression and anxiety, but you keep going back. Or maybe your smartphone has become a functional addiction where you just keep going to it and you're not engaging with your spouse, your children, or your friends because you just keep going back to it. It's like a pill that makes you feel better or forget about the stresses in your life. When you are bombarded and harassed by cultural forces, what do you receive from Jesus? Compassion or condemnation? Deep affection and understanding and steadfast love? Or if you really loved me, you wouldn't be influenced by that. No, you receive compassion from Jesus because your troubledness draws out his compassion. And he put on flesh and lived in this world. And so he understands the cultural forces that harass you. He understands what it means for you to be underneath leadership that is harmful. He understands when you are harassed by your past life of sin and debauchery, whatever it is. Your troubledness draws out Jesus' compassion. Here's the question. What does the troubledness of others draw out of you? Compassion or condemnation? Now, we all know what we would love that answer to be. We would love to say 100% of the time, the troubledness of others draws out my compassion. But we know that's not true. More than we would like to think or admit, the troubledness of others can draw out our judgment and our condemnation. And we find that the mission of Jesus, there's a big disconnect between the mission of Jesus and the mission of his followers. Why? Because you cannot deliver compassion consistently unless you are receiving compassion consistently. Compassion delivered requires compassion received. Now, what do I mean by compassion received? It's described in one statement in this passage. One statement by Jesus, and it's surrounded by all of this evidence that confirms this one statement that Jesus delivers to his disciples as he's sending them out to extend his mission. It's verse eight, in the verse eight. You received without paying, give without pay. Jesus says, you received 
my compassion without paying for it. Now I want you to go out and extend and deliver compassion without demanding payment. The compassion that the disciples received from Jesus was not merited. It was not earned. It was by grace and grace alone. It was the grace of God that delivered compassion to them. And what we see here in this passage is that statement is surrounded by evidence of the truth of that statement. Look at the evidence, verses 37 to 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, there is a harvest out there. Laborers are needed. Therefore pray for laborers. Laborers aren't self-appointed. They are called by God, which is why the call to mission is first and foremost a call to prayer because laborers are not self-appointed. This applies, Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples, but it's teaching them what was true of them. And that is the disciples did not wake up one day and say, hmm, I think it would be a great idea if we left our stable jobs behind and if we started traveling around and telling people about this man, Jesus. No, they were called. And the gospels reveal and tell the various callings of the disciples. They were called. Not only that, their names are listed in verses two to four. Now, without going into detail about each disciple, I will say this. There is only one explanation for why these men didn't kill themselves and disband within one week. They were called by God. This is a hodgepodge group of bandits that were called to accomplish something. And any human logic Reason, rationality would have never pulled these men together for the purpose for which they were called. This was a hodgepodge group of men. You had Peter, who was the optimist. You had Thomas, who was the pessimist. And then you had Simon, who was the one-time zealot who hated taxes and wanted to overthrow the Roman government. You had Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Debbie Downers, and Positive Polys thrust into a room together to accomplish something. Now, under human understanding, that's a bad move. You don't get stuff done that way. These men were called by God. And on top of that, they were not the movers and shakers in society. In fact, towards the end of the list, you read of three. James, the son of Alphaeus, 
Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean. These were the most obscure of the disciples. They were absolutely obscure. There's no human explanation for why these men were instrumental, used as instruments to change the world. Only a divine explanation. They had received God's call. They had received the compassion of Jesus. And on the journey, they would continue to receive the compassion of Jesus. Look at Jesus' instructions to them. Verse six tells us he sent them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning they were to go to the Jews first, not to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Had the gospels for the nations, this was a temporary restriction. They just went to the Jews first. But then look at the, look at the instructions. Verse nine, acquire no gold or silver or, co or copper for your belts. In today's language, that would mean take no money. Don't take any money with you. Verse 10, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. That means don't take a suitcase. Don't take an extra set of clothes uh, and don't even take sandals. Barefootedness in the scriptures is often connected with poverty. The point here is that they were not to make elaborate uh, plans and preparations for the journey. Why? For the laborer deserves his food. You say, now, wait a minute. This almost seems like a contradiction. Jesus just said, you received without paying, now give without pay. Now he says the laborer deserves his wages. You say, wait, is this a contradiction? No, it's absolutely consistent with what Jesus is instructing his disciples with here. The point is, they're not to rely on their own resources or their own ingenuity. They are to rely completely on God to provide for them, which he would through the people that they served. But they were called by God, recipients of Jesus' compassion. And now on the journey, they don't flip the switch into, okay, now we got it, Jesus, we'll take it from here. We'll use our own resources. We'll use our own ingenuity, our own logic, our own rationality. No, the point, the instructions here are to make sure that they, they remain in an absolute dependent position before their savior as they go on this mission. Completely and utterly dependent on the grace of God from start to finish, even while they're on the journey. They were to be completely and utterly dependent on God's grace. So what you have here is Jesus' command to his disciples to deliver compassion. Right? Verses seven and eight, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. The command to, I want you men to go deliver compassion to the crowd because they're harassed and helpless. But what you find is surrounding that command to go deliver compassion is God's command to them, Jesus' command to them to receive his compassion. You say, why is this so important? Because you are going to deliver what you receive. If you functionally, and I'm, I'm saying functionally here, I'm not speaking intellectually of what you would say. 
right? Functionally at a heart level, if you receive condemnation from Jesus, then you're gonna deliver condemnation and judgment to others. Or if you, if you don't functionally receive compassion from Jesus in your troubledness, then you're gonna deliver, you're not gonna deliver compassion to others. Troubledness of people drew out Jesus' compassion. And the irony here is that the disciples, though they're called on mission to extend Jesus' mission to troubled people, they themselves were the troubled people that received the compassion of Jesus. And now they're returning, going back out and allowing the compassion of Jesus to move through them to others. It's compassion received, compassion delivered. Pastor Tim Keller told the story of a young man named Hashim Garrett. He was a 15-year-old boy, lived with his mother, was basically living, though, a lot on the streets with a gang in Brooklyn, New York. He was shot six times and was paralyzed from the waist down. In those early moments, days, months of recovery in a New York City hospital where he was recovering, he was filled with thoughts of revenge against this kid who had shot him six times. But then during the recovery that moved into rehab, there was, a, there was a time where a new thought, kind of an aha moment thought, came to Hashim as he was recovering. And that thought was that if he took revenge on this kid who had shot him, why should God not pay him back for his sins? Because six months before he was shot, he had shot a kid for no reason because a friend had told him to do it and he wanted to prove that he was tough. And now six months later, he was shot by a kid whose friend told him to do it for no reason. And he realized that the forgiveness that God was calling him, the compassion that God was calling him to deliver to his perpetrator was the same forgiveness that he needed, the same compassion that he needed. Compassion received, compassion delivered. To deliver consistently compassion to troubled people you have to be receiving the compassion of Jesus Christ in your own troubles. What characterizes the mission of Jesus and his followers? Compassion received, compassion delivered, and finally, compassion uncompromised. Verse 11, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Now, what does this mean? First of all, in that day, it was very common for people to uh, show hospitality by taking in travelers. There weren't a lot of inns. In today's language, there weren't a lot of hotels, far and few between. And so it was very common for travelers to be taken in. 
Jesus says to the disciples, and when you get to a town, I want you to go find a place where you can lodge. And the way you do that is to find out if the person is worthy. What's that mean? What that meant is you find someone that welcomes you and welcomes the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And if you find someone that welcomes you and welcomes the message, then you stay there until you leave that city or town. But if you come to someone who does not welcome you and therefore does not welcome the message of Jesus, verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. It was very customary in that day that Jews, when they, they left Gentile territory, they would shake the dust of unbelief off their clothes and feet as they came back into the promised land. The shock here is that Jesus is speaking of Jews living in Jewish territory. And his, his message or his words get even harsher in verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, similar situation of hospitality. Don't have time to go into the story. But judgment was poured out because of the rejection. What Jesus is saying here and what we're learning is that rejecting Christ results in judgment. Now you say, wait a minute. Are we talking about compassion or judgment? Did, didn't Jesus just say when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless? And now Jesus is calling for judgment? Compassion and judgment are not incompatible. In fact, it's the compassion of Jesus that commits him to destroying the sin that is destroying the people that he loves. Judgment is just purging and removing the sin that doesn't belong. And it's born out of Jesus' compassion. Because of his compassion, he's not okay with sin destroying this world and destroying his people. And sin is removed through judgment. Now you run that through the cross. Jesus' compassion is on display when he took on your brokenness. Didn't just take it on, absorbed it. Put himself under judgment for it so that you wouldn't be judged, so that you could receive his compassion that he took your judgment. That is compassion. It's divine compassion. Another way to say this, it would be the most uncompassionate, it would be most uncompassionate for Jesus to say, I love you and do nothing about the sin that's destroying your life in this world. And he did something about it when he went to the cross to take it from you so that his compassion was poured out on you. Compassion uncompromised. Right? Compassion compromised excludes judgment. 
Compassion uncompromised includes judgment. And we see this uncompromised nature of Jesus' compassion even in the instructions that he gives to his disciples, which is simply an extension of what he was already doing. So verse 35, we see what Jesus was already doing, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, proclaiming and healing, word and deed. And then he commands his disciples to extend his ministry, verse seven to eight. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Right? Proclaim and heal. Word and deed. Jesus doesn't just instruct them to heal. Compassion requires both. Compassion requires words, the word of the gospel and the deed of the gospel. It would be most uncompassionate to heal someone of their earthly affliction and not deliver the good news of Jesus that can deliver them from eternal affliction of sin. Compassion requires both word and deed. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's compromised. When people are, when people receive the compassion of Jesus in word and deed, it either draws them closer to Christ or it makes them more guilty before Christ. It, there's a divided response. When, when, the, when compassion uncompromised is delivered to people, it draws them closer or it pushes them further away. But compassion is word and deed. It's word and deed. And this is becoming incredibly important in our culture because the, the deeds of the gospel are becoming increasingly accepted. But the words of the gospel are becoming decreasingly accepted. When you think about the mission of Jesus, it is a mission of compassion, but it is always a mission of words and deeds. And he calls his followers to the same. That your mission as a follower of Christ, Christ extending his earthly mission and ministry through you is a call to both word and deed. When you think about your mission, is it characterized by both, by word and deed? And if not, which is lacking? The word of the gospel or the deed of the gospel? Right? Which is lacking? Author Lee Strobel remembers flying into Midway Airport in Chicago. There was a blizzard. And on the flight in, he was sitting next to an engineer from India. And as he was talking to this engineer from India, he realized that this, this man, once he got off the flight, was gonna take a bus all the way to O'Hare Airport. 
at which point his pregnant wife and two children were gonna drive in from a distant suburb to pick him up. And so Lee said to this man, he said, well, listen, I've got a rental car at, uh, at Midway. Why don't I just give you a lift home? And so the man was grateful and he accepted it. And on the drive, he, he said, he asked Lee, why are, you, why are you going so far out of the way to do something like this for me? And Lee told him, he said, has anybody ever done something so kind for you that it makes you want to pass a kindness along to someone else? And this man you know, nodded slightly. And then Lee said, well, Jesus Christ has done something incredibly kind for me. And he said, this man began to understand that what motivated Lee Strobel to go out of his way to give this man a ride home and not have his pregnant wife and two children come pick him up, it was, it was, a, it was motivated by the grace of God, by the kindness of Jesus, such that when he dropped him off at his house, the man said, thank you. And he said, I'm going to need to think a lot more about the conversation we had. And, and Lee Strobel, <clears throat> reflecting on the experience, said this, there is no doubt in my mind. My words about Jesus registered with him because he experienced the love of Jesus through my practical deed of giving him a ride through the storm. Compassion received, compassion delivered, uncompromised in word and in deed. Let's pray. Father, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It is your love that drives your judgment. It's your love for your creation, your love for your people that drives you to remove sin from lives and from this world. And thank you that you did that in the most compassionate and kind way to place our sins on your son, Jesus, that he would take judgment in our place. Such a kind and compassionate act that we are recipients of. And Father, as we continue to sin, we're not perfect. We continue on a daily basis to receive that kindness and that compassion. Oh, Father, would you make us a people that receive that compassion and then turn and just deliver it to troubled people around us. Father, make us a compassionate people, not a people of condemnation, not a people that are quick to judge, but a people that have been shown compassion by Jesus and are quick to deliver it to others. And Father, would you give us the courage and the strength to deliver it uncompromised. That we wouldn't just do the deeds of the gospel, that we would combine it with words. That we would share why we do what we do. 
Because of the kindness of Jesus to us, we're kind to others. Oh, Father, would you remind us? Because after you, Father, sent your son and after your son called the 12 and sent them, we have in the gospels in Luke where he, your son Jesus sends the 72. It's beyond the disciples and the 72 are nobody special. It represents us, that you've sent us into a troubled world, into troubled lives to extend and deliver compassion and kindness in word and deed. Help us to do that. Help us to be faithful. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.